kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Jeannie Kurzweil-less edition of Anti-Nanny. Um, with me this evening is the best producer money can't buy, which is good because after almost three years, I'm still not paying him. Hi, Barry. How are you this evening? Well, I had box issues today, but yeah, that's life. Well, I mean... I haven't done woodwork in more than 20 years. So, yeah, it's all well, relearning everything. Right. Well, <laughs> put it this way. I'm sure you did a much better job with that than I would have done. Yeah. So, Well, yeah. well the, the, the replacement <laughs> box I'll make next week will, will be much better. So, mm -hmm. yeah. It's and hopefully, hopefully your varnish will work better. Yes. Doing varnish when it's warm and humid is not the best idea. No. I've no. ordered some quick dry varnish. So, 15 hours versus 30 per coat? That'll be nice. Yeah. Being able to leave something overnight rather than waiting a couple of days. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah bare wood, you need at least three coats to get it covered properly. So, yeah. it's a long time waiting for varnish to dry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you better have a hobby. <laughs> huh. Or something. Um so tonight we're going to do something different than we normally do and it's only because i'm living in the middle of tropical storm hell uh tonight we're going to bring alex on first for the casa update um and we don't normally do that until seven so uh after the after alex's appearance it's just going to be a straight shot of nothing but you know the usual fun we've all come to love from auntie nanny okay i'll get alex <laughs> okay <laughs> And, you know. Good evening, Alex. Good evening. Good evening, and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 6-6-2016. How are you this evening, Alex? Uh, pretty good, actually. Okay. <laughs> so, so <laughs> what has been going on this week? And I know we said we we're going to talk about Senator Johnson last week, but it, it's probably, you're right, we should have talked about him this week. Um, 
Well, the timing works out pretty well. Uh, mm -hmm. He uh, he sent a follow up letter to uh, the FDA commissioner Robert Califf mm -hmm. um, today. So, for those who haven't seen the the news release or on social media today, um, Senator Ron Johnson was expecting. It actually, I guess you could say he demanded an answer from the <laughs> FDA um, that was due on, that was last Tuesday on the 31st. Um, <clears throat> and I guess, I, I can't remember if we mentioned this last week or not. I mean, I think it was maybe you that had mentioned this. Apparently, um, uh, the FDA had responded either in a tweet. Yeah. Uh, I guess so. It was in a tweet. I, I couldn't find the tweet. I was, I was, I was looking for it. I wonder if they deleted it because it was just one of the weird things I saw and I was like, that's really weird. Why would they say it was a private matter? Well, it's not really. It's a matter of public record. Yeah, totally not a private matter, um, yeah. especially, you know, when when your <laughs> regulations affect uh, hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. arguably millions of people. Um, yeah, that's not, I don't think that qualifies as a private matter. Um, so much. Uh, yeah, and I should admonish you for being a bad vapor and not screen capping that or something. Sorry, I, I, I don't know. I expect transparency from my government officials. I didn't know they were going to take it down. Now everything oh, I see from them, I'm screenshotting. Yeah, oh, oh Jan, you should know better. I should, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, apparently FDA has been pretty smug in their in their treatment of this and basically blowing off Senator Johnson's request, um, and he followed up today. Uh, I'm looking at the news release on his site, um, and uh, it's, it's basically rehashing the, the original letter, um, but in the interim, it sounds like Senator Johnson has heard from, uh, I'm sure, several of his constituents. I'm sure he's heard from vapors all over the country and probably the world um, talking about how these products have helped them. Um, and he has heard from businesses, uh, I'm sure, going through kind of a similar exercise as, as uh, has been recommended to them in the past, stating, you know, how many people they employ, how much business they do, um, all the different products that they carry. And, you know, that's just, you just sort of expand from that how many people would be affected by this. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, since you, you know, and everybody knows once you start, uh, once you get on the vaping community's good side, um, you you tend to hear um, quite a bit from them in the way yeah. of support. Um, so that's uh, uh, certainly Senator Johnson has been uh, experiencing that. And then the best part is the the last couple sentences, the last paragraph of his letter, um, which I will read. Uh, first, first of all. Uh, he is expecting this information to come from the FDA uh, by no later than 5 p.m. on June 20th of this year. So uh, 14 days from now, uh, I'm sure that we can expect another smug response from the FDA. Uh, and then he goes on to say, if the FDA does not provide an adequate response to these inquiries, the committee may be forced to resort to other means to compel the production of this information. Thank you for your attention to this matter. Um, 
So, I, you know, I don't know if this means uh, some sort of Senate committee investigation. Um, certainly, both the FDA and the CDC have been, uh, you know, on our list of uh, government agencies that should be investigated by Congress or the Senate. Um, so, uh, it, you know, it's very possible that uh, Senator Johnson is providing us, maybe providing us with another opportunity for, for uh, a legislative response to uh, the FDA. Um, so, yeah, this, this will be, uh, this is an interesting development. Um, and when the time comes, we'll be happy to support. I, I have been kicking around the idea. I think I need to give Senator Johnson a call and see what, if anything, Kassaw can do to help support him in his efforts to get a response, uh, a substantive response from the FDA um, <laughs> in a timely fashion. <laughs> well, I mean, how many years behind were they on putting out the wrecks? A couple of years, at least from their first deadline. So, you know, they're following tradition with taking too long to reply to the senator. And I think um, the FDA might be just about to find out that um, I think senators and congressmen have uh, short timelines, not like the public, you know. They want an answer and, and you know, they should get one. Yeah, and, you know, this is... Um... I, I heard somebody else kind of talking about this um, uh, the other night. Um, you know, the public's timeline on, on in this matter is is actually shorter than than advertised. Right. Um, I, I think you know we have these kind of hard and fast dates. You know, August eighth of this year is when the regulations. That's the effective date. And then August 8th of 2018 is when FDA starts kind of the hardcore enforcement of actually taking products off the market that don't have their PMTAs in. Right. Um, but it's the, the, the timeline is, is much, much shorter. And, uh, you know, you're going to see the small to medium-sized businesses, you know, if they aren't already making their plans to cut their losses or come out on top and exit the market before the drop dead date in 2018, um, they will likely be doing that soon. Um, so over the course of the next two years, which means earlier than two years, uh, the, the, the industry is going to start shrinking. Um, and, and so it, it is actually very, very critical that we start getting responses from people, you know, when the FDA is asked to respond to this stuff, it's you know there's there's millions of lives at stake here. This mm -hmm. and it, you, you, I don't I don't care if money impresses everybody a lot more. Um, it, this is you know there's just so much more to this issue than than the four billion dollars or five or whatever billion dollars this industry is estimated to be. Yeah. Um, so you know. That's hey hey folks. That's your Food and Drug Administration for you. They give zero cares about the actual welfare of Americans. So, well, I mean, at least somebody is holding their feet to the fire. Not just us, which is nice. 
And um, someone in the chat asked, can a committee put a stay on rule enforcement? I don't actually know about that. And I don't think you know about that, do you? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I would have to research that. I don't know if there's any precedence for that. Um, as far as we know, uh, as, as far as I know, the most likely route for an injunction is going to be through the courts. Right. Um, and then, of course, you know, the other option is actually changing the law. So mm -hmm. if, if you change the law, there's nothing really, you know. For them to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, there just, will be. Um, yeah, yeah, there's plenty. Of the, the, you know, ultimately, the FDA is still going to end up with some regulatory authority over these products. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's not so much up for debate. Uh, it's how they regulate these products that that we're working very hard to to fix. So so yeah. Um, speaking of that, if if we're uh, yeah ready to move along, mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I talked about it a little bit last week, but uh, I had the privilege to travel to Oklahoma City on Tuesday and. Right meet with congressman um sorry i'm turning my phone uh meet with congressman uh um cole? Tom, tom cole uh and uh along with uh capo rourke from safada scott ely from amsa um sean gore was there formerly of uh uh oval uh oklahoma vapor Oklahoma Vaping Advocacy League, uh -huh. um, and I believe that they're sort of transitioning into becoming a Safada chapter, um, uh -huh. and uh, so there was uh, a couple other people there um, who are part of that. Um, and it was a good meeting. It was it was it was a long way to travel for like twenty minutes with a congressman, but I <laughs> suspect that that's how a lot of this stuff goes. Um, right. And uh, I was. You know, we were able to ask him point blank. You know, um, should should both the HR twenty fifty eight and Cole Bishop amendment be supported? Mm -hmm. uh, and his answer was simply and without hesitation, yes. Um, and it it is still very important to you know to get co sponsors on HR twenty fifty eight because right. you know although there's you know there's a distinct possibility that neither of these pieces of legislation go the distance this year mm -hmm. but getting support getting co-sponsors on HR 2058 can actually be a little bit more meaningful than just getting support for Cole Bishop um, because you know when you sign on as a co-sponsor that's that's a matter of record and those people are likely to sign on again the next year um, so, you know, we, we sort of fully anticipate that H.R. 2058 won't go the distance this year, but will likely be reintroduced, renumbered, uh, and possibly amended a little bit for 2017. Right. Um, so, you know, in either one of these instances, urging congressmen to support this language is vital. And um, so I, I, I kind of, I'm hopeful that we have sort of put this debate to bed um, and that, you know, it, it, it's just the overall goal here is to support a change to the predicate date. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we can hash out 
the details of kind of additional language, this and that, uh, mm -hmm. going through 2017. Uh, but for right now, both of these uh, bits of, of regulation need, their bits of legislation uh, need our support. Uh -huh. um, and uh, I, I, I won't get into too many finer points of uh, some other things that we talked about, but, um, but we did talk about some of the additional provisions in um, the Cold Bishop Amendment and, you know, the, 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 the kind of consensus on that is that, that this is stuff that, that, again, like I just said, can be sort of hashed out in 2017 or it can be hashed out um, somewhere else. Uh, you know, there is an effort to get this language in a Senate uh, version mm -hmm. um, that, you know, you know, when you have these budget bills, you have a Senate version, you have a House version, they're racing towards the end, and they sort uh -huh. of meet up meet up in conference, you know, for concurrence. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is another opportunity for us to change the language. So um, that is an ongoing process, and, and we'll be working to, to get that done, um, you know, in the last half of this year. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was it was a good meeting. Uh, Sean Gore is an excellent host. Um, I, I I had a good time hanging out with him, and um, it's it's always good to to go into these meetings, you know, shoulder to shoulder, unified front with with the other organizations, um, okay. and uh, and uh, yeah, it was a good time. That's good. So, um, has anything else been going on? Or? Um, well, for folks living in Pennsylvania, um, your legis your state assembly, or I forget how they say it there, your legislature is back in session today, um, or they were until about two hours ago, or whenever <laughs> government employees kick off for the day. Um, it, uh, it, we put out a call to action last week. Uh, the 40% wholesale tax is back on the table um, for Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, the idea last week was to try to, you know, reach out to, to legislators before they went back to Harrisburg. Um, now they're back in Harrisburg, and I sent out an updated email for Pennsylvanians uh, today with the capital phone numbers for their lawmakers. Uh, that would be the 717 area code. And um, so, yeah, you know, even if you called their... Uh, the, the, the district office last week, give them a call at the Capitol again this week. Um, and, you know, there's emails to be sent, there's phone calls to be made. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'd really like to, to push this back again this year. Cool. <sighs> <laughs> so it's been exciting all the way around then. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, last week obviously was sort of, you know, we had Memorial Day on Monday, so that was supposed to be kind of a break. Um, we talked about Illinois um, last week, um, and I think there was actually a really, really good response to, to that, uh, that committee awesome. hearing. Uh, I, I, I forgot, I know that uh, Vicki in, in uh, Illinois actually posted up an update um, uh, but Vicki Vasconcelos, 
one of our board of advisors. She's also uh, Safada um, chair in Illinois. Um, so there is that. Um, there are efforts afoot in California to push back against the um, tax, the tobacco tax ballot initiative. Um, right. I'm not providing a whole lot of details at this moment, but um, I, I, I don't actually have a whole lot of details. <laughs> um, but I, I do know that, that uh, people in California are working to push back against that. Um, and then, yeah, so other kind of California um, things. Um, I had uh, spoken to, well, I was out there in Sacramento. Okay. And, and when, when uh, Safada, California, did their lobby day. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I, I can't remember if we had talked about this back then, um, but uh, I, I did kind of want to reiterate because I had heard some comments on, an, on another um, internet thing um, that uh, despite, well, so California has these horrible laws that were passed and it changes regulations for everything. It raises the, the, the age to purchase vapor products to 21, it limits where you can vape. Um, and there's some other stuff that goes along with that. And so the, what I had heard was that California businesses were being um, encouraged to just comply and kind of suck it up and live with it. Um, this is not actually what my experience was when we were in Sacramento. Okay. And um, going forward, I think that there's you know some clarity that's being offered about that. Okay. Um, there are efforts afoot to uh, to fix this in 2017, um, and this is going to be a popular theme going forward. Here we are in June, mm-hmm. so you know we're sort of past a lot of you know. First of all, I, I believe like two thirds of the country, their legislatures are adjourned for the year. Um, right. There's always that chance that they come back in for special session stuff. Usually, that's reserved for um, budget discussions, um, and uh, or you know, if the, somebody decides to go all emergency public health like California did last year. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but for the most part, most of the country is in is in recess. Um, the uh, so the theme is going to be. You know, we're going to look towards 2017 for new bills to be introduced and hopefully fix some of this um, legislative assault on vapor products. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, you know, my experience in being in Sacramento with the California Safada people was that there were talks about um, potentially fixing things in 2017. It's just you're not going to hear a whole lot about it until you know, pre-filing or, you know, until somebody's actually willing to, to, to work on this. So it could be December, January before um, anything really uh, picks up uh, right. in terms of, of what people are hearing. Um, but California is not just giving up and rolling over. Uh, there There is, is work still to be done. And, of course, case in point, this tobacco tax ballot initiative um, which is likely going to be, I guarantee you, you're going to have thousands of vapors that sign, that, that vote yes on this. 
because they look at it and they see, oh, well, it's a, t it's a tax on cigarettes or it's a tax on tobacco and I'm not tobacco, so it doesn't affect me. Um, and so there's, there's an awful lot of education that needs to be going on in California. And from what I understand, uh, there are uh, business owners out there that are, are, are taking that responsibilities very seriously uh, and getting together and working to make that happen. So um, again, if you live in California, uh, definitely take a second look at your, at your ballot this year. Um, and uh, when it says tobacco tax, whatever, uh, that includes vapor products now. Um, California changed their definition before the FDA got involved. Um, so um, vote no. <laughs> Just please, <laughs> yeah. please vote no on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, no, you're right. And, and I think what's surprising to me is how many people are involved in the industry and how many people vape and have absolutely no idea what's going on. Yeah, and um, that actually leads to the next thing that I was going to bring up. Um, the uh, the next piece of mass major regulation that kicks in uh, it it happens a full week, I believe. Wait, just so I get this right. Okay. Uh, it could be slightly more than a week. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, one. Okay, so almost two weeks before the effective date of the FDA deeming regulations, okay. July twenty sixth of this year, okay. all bottles of nicotine containing liquid need to be sold in child resistant packaging. Okay. Um, this is not that kind of handshake, oh yeah, it's child resistant cap type agreement you get from your, whoever supplies your bottles, whoever supplies your e-liquid. Um, if it's coming from Europe, if it's coming from China, if it's coming from anywhere in the country and they say, oh yeah, it's child resistant, you need to be able to verify that. Uh, and it needs to be compliant with the U.S. code. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a section in the it's uh, USC okay. United States Code or CFR Code of Federal Regulations U.S. CFR. Um, it is Title 16, Section 1700.20. Uh, it is a very specific testing protocol for child-resistant packaging. And whoever is shipping you your bottles should be able to uh, send you some sort of sheet saying that they have been, you know, tested, right. they are compliant with the U.S. code. Mm -hmm. um, there are different standards for different parts of the world. You need the U.S. one if you're going to sell your products in the United States. Um, and uh, I'm, we're a little bit behind in getting our newsletter out, but there's a, a section in there that, you know, how this, obviously this affects consumers because if, you know, if you're a manufacturer and you're not selling stuff that's compliant, then we are going to lose access to it because, right. you know, enforcement is going to start soon. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are, uh, 
it, it, it's again, you know, it, it's shocking the number of people who are not aware of the FDA deeming regulations. Um, but this is sort of a little bit more shocking uh, because this was signed by President Obama back in January. Yep. Um, and, you know, that there was some effort to get the word out, but still, I think that there's a lot of retailers and a lot of manufacturers who are unaware of this deadline. Yeah. Uh, and it's certainly been overshadowed by what's going on with the FDA. Um, so part of the what we're putting out in our newsletter coming up, hopefully it's this week, um, will be, you know, for consumers to ask their, their retailers, are, do you know that your bottles are going to be compliant with the Child Nicotine Poisoning Prevention Act of 2015 come July 26th? Um, it's a very important question. If you like a particular brand, make sure that they are going to be compliant. Exactly. Yeah. Some, some states um, have already adopted this. Um, I think New Jersey was one of them. I know there's a few in the Northeast that did. Um, uh -huh. So I want to say half a dozen or more states had, had adopted some sort of child-resistant packaging rule. Um, and that was, uh, you know, it, it's something that we've been supportive of, and it had to be specifically worded that it was um, basically consistent with the federal standard, uh, which is this Title 16, 1700.20 thing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's coming up. Everybody needs to be aware of it. I think I'll just mention it every week, um, <laughs> until, <laughs> until the deadline. I'll probably, probably mention it on, on, um, August 1st, just for good measure. Okay. Well, it's good. I mean, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. Repeat, 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 repeat. Sometimes that's how people learn. Um, and I know this has nothing to do with us, but did you see the designated vaping area story that came out of Canada the other day? I might have seen it. I might have glossed over it, but uh, feel okay. free to. Um, there was a news channel up there that was walking around doing a man on the street piece, and they found this sign that said uh, designated vaping area. They'd never seen one before because they haven't passed their final rule on how they're going to deal with, with vaping and all that sort of thing. So they went and they filmed it and they went and asked um, their government there and the government came and took them down and huh. said they knew nothing about them. So I guess out, outdoors in, in Vancouver and the like, you're going to have only dedicated spaces outdoors where you can vape is what it's looking like. And that's, I just thought that was pretty interesting because it, it seems to be, outdoor vaping bans seem to be a, a thing now. So. Well, uh, I know that Quebec actually mm -hmm. passed, um, part of their uh, law that they recently passed was uh, no smoking on terraces, which okay. is a popular feature in and around Montreal. Um, if you've ever been to Montreal, a lot of the, 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 the townhouses there have steps that go up to the second floor that are, they're outside the building. Right. Um, and of course there's a landing at the top typically. And, uh, and then of course everybody, you know, apartment living, you typically have some sort of back porch. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess that's if you're in sort of a nice apartment, even the not so nice apartments have them. Um, right. but, uh, it, it's, uh, 
you know, it's a popular space to go hang out and smoke. But now that is illegal, even though you're on your own private property. Um, it is illegal to smoke on your landing outside, and that includes vaping. And yeah, uh, Quebec has probably the strictest tobacco and now vaping uh, regulations in all of Canada. Um, they also, I believe, had like the slowest decline in smoking rates compared to the rest <laughs> of the country. So it, I, I, I tweeted about that recently. Um, That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is a bit strange. So yeah, so yeah. I just thought that was interesting. You know. Um, at least they're actually giving people a space to vape. Instead of saying, you know, not outside, not at all, not where pedestrians might be, you know. So, it's, I don't know. It's just interesting the way different governments in different countries do different things. Yeah, and it's, I guess it's a province by province thing up there for now. Um, obviously, there are some, some federal standards. Uh, it would be interesting to watch Canada um, because, of the, you know, they have a new prime minister. He's young and relatively hip and is intent on legalizing marijuana. Um, uh -huh. And so, you know, it, the, my feeling is that, you know, harm reduction arguments should actually play very well with Justin Trudeau. Um, <laughs> But uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah. So, do you? Is that about it for this week, Alex? Or I think that's it. I always feel like I'm forgetting <laughs> something. Um, but uh, oh, 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 okay. oh! <laughs> one, one more thing, and I promise this is it. No worries. Um, I watched the, uh, I, I really shouldn't mention a product name, but it's, it's the only way to refer to it. Um, okay. I, w I watched the uh, White Cloud e-cigs webinar with Aaron Bieber today. Me too. Um, and, it was a long time I, to see it, yeah. It, it, it's good. I, Aaron's a great guy, and you know we've had the pleasure of getting to know him over the past couple of years, um, and uh, I'm very excited to see the A Billion Lives documentary. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Anybody who's following this knows that it made a splash in New Zealand and, um, in fact, apparently has gone some way towards changing some policy there. Um, and uh, so we're very hopeful to see that in the United States soon. Um, but one of the things that he brought up that I, I feel is worth mentioning and, and rebroadcasting, and I'll put this in our newsletter, um, is that uh, they need a lot of kind of social media buzz and not just kind of reposting posts about a billion lives, but actual likes on their Facebook page. Um, so to keep it short, uh, anybody listening, uh, go and make sure that you like a billion lives on Facebook, follow them on Twitter, um, and encourage your friends to do the same. Uh, there, there should be um, hundreds of thousands of people liking that. Every every vapor that uh, this is kind of like joining Casa at this point. Um, you know, in order to generate enough buzz about this movie so that major movie studios take an interest in it, um, they need to see a lot of popularity on social media. That's just sort of one of the things that people mm -hmm. can do. But man, that is that is free and easy to do. Yep. So um, yep. yeah, and I'll put exactly. that in the, I'll put that in the newsletter too. Mm -hmm. 
That no, that was a pretty good webinar. I uh, I've I generally catch the white cloud ones when they're uploaded to YouTube because I'm not mm -hmm. always home. So yeah. it was it was good to see one live. I don't generally get that opportunity. Yeah. You know, I, I think people don't understand what that social media buzz does for you. I mean we certainly know uh, what an increase in popularity does for us, but uh, when it's a well, it's kind of a commercial thing, I guess, a movie. You know, people yeah. want to be sure that people will see it, and the only way to be sure of that is to see that people want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's precisely it. So, exactly. All right. Thank you so much, Alex, for everything you do for us, and we'll see you next Monday. Tentatively. Unless you're going somewhere. <laughs> tentatively, yes. I'm not sure. Greg might be sending me away on an assignment, so I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, we'll see you next week, maybe. All Thank right. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Thanks for everything. Yep. See ya. Um, I also really wanted to thank uh, Brian Kransky for all his help with uploading the videos to the CASA YouTube channel. It's CASA Media on YouTube. And that's basically where we put the podcasts, which are separate actually from this show, um, besides the SoundCloud link. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to thank him for all his efforts in that, which I don't normally get to do. Just, okay. just to cut in, I'll, I can update you on stuff in the UK as well. Please. Fast, fast changing today. Okay. Um, mentioned last week that there was a motion in the Lords to basically block Article 20 of the TPD. Mm -hmm. Well, that was supposed to happen this week, but it looks like it's been put back till next week. We mm -hmm. suspect because Ash are very busy lobbying Labour Lords. To tr they're telling Labour Lords basically that the motion's designed to stop the whole TPD and it'll destroy all the benefits, all the plain packaging stuff, blah 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 which is basically lies so that's uh -huh. been put back a week but breaking news is there are another two motions going to be discussed in the Lords to do with the TPD um, this just arrived ooh, 20 minutes ago in fact um, damn this is breaking so Lord news. Cullinan's motion has been put back. Um, okay. Baroness Walmsley is, has asked questions about the advertising restrictions mm -hmm. with the quite considerably sensible thing of, well, if this stuff helps smokers quit, why are you banning the advertising? <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to tell people about it? So she's asked that question. Okay. And Lord Hunt of King's Heath, he says, well, you haven't set up monitoring to see how this is going to affect people and the market. So you shouldn't go ahead until the government have put in place proper monitoring. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another two motions have been put forward in the Lords. <laughs> Well, so the Lords really don't like the TPD. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why. Well, um, that just happened this evening. That just popped up on my Facebook. I'm like, ooh, this is fun. <laughs> you know what's so really things funny? are heating up over here as well. So. Yeah, you know what's really funny, and I don't, I don't normally talk about vaping or smoking too much on here, but um, there's 
there's a couple of blogs and one of them does like really good, really long term, really in depth stuff where they dig back through like years full of records and really look at stuff. And they went to try to find out who signed your country on and ratified basically the um, World Health Organization tobacco treaty. Mm -hmm. They can't find any signatory for it. That's interesting. There's none listed. I mean, you should, see, you I, should possibly send that information to VIP and the NNA because I'm sure well, they find it intriguing. Well, I mean, I don't understand. How can no one be listed? There's no name on this fucking thing. So how did you sign on? Exactly. There should be a there should be a document, and it should have been scanned in electronically mm -hmm. by now, with yeah. the actual signatures on it, let alone yeah. you know um, yeah. normal data. I mean, so. Actual signed documents by law have to be scanned in these days. Exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, my question is this. If they can't find a signatory for your country, yeah. how many other countries got signed on to this thing and no one knows who did it? Yeah. It was just agreed by some faceless bureaucrats. So, yeah, everybody assumed it had been signed up no, properly. Signed. Yeah. yeah. And what if it wasn't signed properly? Well, if it wasn't signed properly, that's a whole can of worms, isn't it? Yes, it is. Because you just go well we weren't signed up to it yeah well whoops. stop telling us about it bye screw you bye bye exactly because the world world health organization are just nutcases oh they are absolutely at, at best insane. nutcases well they are absolutely insane did you see the news the other day how scientists have been badgering them about zika and badgering them about zika finally 200 of them got together and went to the press and said yeah. really do you really think we should have these olympics in rio yeah. right now with the zika virus so damn yeah, high? there's this devastating virus going about do you really think it's a good idea to have millions of people show up yeah. right and they're saying no 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 it'll be fine it'll be fine so a couple of newspapers dug into it and guess what they found uh <laughs> Let me guess, Olympic organizations might have been paying the WHO some money? Yes! Yeah. Exactly. Oof, yeah. how did I guess that one? I don't know. Yeah. But apparently the WHO is playing both ends against the middle, most like what they did when there was the um, swine flu epidemic, remember yeah. that? Yeah, remember how... Well, even they were any saying, of the flu epidemics, they're well, recommending the swine flu. The swine recommending Tamiflu when it was the wrong Tamiflu they were recommending. Right, and but all the, that sort with of the crap. swine flu epidemic, they organ. They remember, I, I was a kid. Yeah. Everybody got shots. Everybody who got shots got sick. Mm -hmm. That was everybody. And this is just what I remember from being a kid. Well, it turns out they organized all of these um, sort of shady deals between pharmaceutical companies and governments to get yeah. them what they called a deal well um normally if you have a drug reaction you can sue the drug companies but not if it's the government not if it's the government and yeah. what the world health organization did when they gave the governments these deals on these vaccines with these drug companies they partnered with they shifted all the blame to the states yep. that bought them well, so as I say, it's the same with the whole, you know, there's going to be a flu epidemic a couple of years back, so loads of countries stocked up on Tamiflu. Yeah. UK is one of them. UK ended up with a stockpile of Tamiflu, which is, they'd have, it's just it's, going to end up getting destroyed in a couple of years' time when it was out of date. It's junk. Basically, it, one, it's, 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 it's the junk. wrong 
strain of flu it's for, mm-hmm. which, uh, but but no, the the executive at the WHO and his uh, the manufacturer friend they they mm-hmm. made a few million out of it, so it's fine. But it's yeah, fine. there are questions asked by the UK government to the WHO, going, uh, "You recommended this, and it doesn't yep. actually work." Yeah, so we want our money back. (laughs) The World Health Organization's been involved in some shady shit for a really, really long time. Oh yeah, really long. Um, Remind me later on to look up that stuff for you on the World Health Organization. The the who signed it? The funniest (laughs) thing: all all the World Health Organization stuff in the last week. Lots of people Mm -hmm. have been putting up memes of (laughs) a certain Chan. Less than hmm. flattering photographs, and as soon as I saw one of the photographs, I was like, "That's low pan." <laughs> There's a film reference for people. <laughs> she does. She looks like low pan. She does. The drooping jowls and <laughs> yeah. she's she's not a she's not an attractive woman, and I can't say I don't I don't I don't think Margaret Chan's ever been an attractive woman, but uh, yeah, but, even but, but lo- even big- less. Put even a big droopy so. moustache on her, and it's low pan. Yeah. <laughs> it is, but she's even less attractive when she's up there fawning over that asshole Michael Bloomberg, yeah. and saying that they don't know how the World Health Organization would run without him. Oh, good God! The uh, better. <laughs> well, you know, that's an easy might, answer. Yeah. Well, it might run better if it did focus on the poor. Yeah, that might be a way to go. If it wasn't pandering to rich assholes, yeah, it'd be much better. <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah, those were just things I thought were, were interesting in passing. They're not really anything I'm going to go into in depth tonight because, oh, we've got fun. <laughs> we've got fun here, don't we? We always um, have fun. Oh, we do. <laughs> I don't know if I want to talk about Walmart. I will talk about this. Wi-Fi Whisperer siphons your data in the creepiest way possible. This is kind of cool. This is about art and the data that's leaking from your cell phone. And it's funny to me how many stories we've actually done about art and privacy in the last year or two. Wi-Fi Whisperer siphons your data in the creepiest way possible. If you're connected to a wireless network, odds are that, odds are high that little bits of data are trickling out of your device like water from a leaky faucet. Our phones leak data in a bunch of different ways, says artist Kyle McDonald. Sometimes it's really insidious or unexpected. Recently at MOOCFest, I have no idea what that is, a music and technology festival in Durham, North Carolina, McDonald, with the help of fellow artist Soretta Matu, created an installation called Wi-Fi Whisperer that called attention to all the data your phone is giving away for free. As festival goers walked past the installation, the artwork grabbed insecure data and displayed it on monitors, while a hidden speaker whispered the stream of data what networks you've recently connected to and what websites you visited, for example, like a creepy demon-voiced Big Brother. It's sort of like looking over someone's shoulder, said McDonald, except you're doing it without actually looking over their shoulder. The artist built sniffers made from eight Raspberry Pis and wireless antennas tuned to different frequencies of open wireless channels. We know where the data is in the air, McDonald explains. Normally these packets are being sent from one device to another, but there's no reason you can't just stand by and listen to that same data as though you were the device it was intended for. By by partnering with Festify, MOOCFest's web 
um, wireless internet provider, the artists were able to grab even more data. Things like the names of networks you were previously connected to, your device's MAC address, the host name of your laptop or phone, the server your HTTP traffic is aiming for, and even the text from whatever website you're visiting. You can see exactly what articles people are looking at. It's the McDonald. You can see exactly which comment they've thumbs up. Businesses have actually used this kind of data to build consumer profiles. In 2012, Nordstrom began tracking the Wi-Fi signals emitted from shoppers' phones to pinpoint their locations in the store. Nordstrom argued it was simply brick-and-mortar version of what online retailers do with cookies. Consumers didn't agree, and Nordstrom ended its experiment. Analytics companies like Yulcid and Nomi use what they claim is anonymous data to figure out exactly where customers go and how many customers leave without buying something. Fairly practical information, you might think. The issue, McDonald says, is that most of us don't even realize we're broadcasting personal information. McDonald says people have too many responses to the project. This is creepy, and what should I do about this? McDonald's tells people, McDonald's, McDonald tells people, there are some simple steps they can take to reduce the amount of data they leak. First, he suggests you should disable Wi-Fi and Bluetooth when you're not using them. Next, don't connect to unprotected networks. And finally, if you really want to be safe, use a virtual private network, which will help safeguard against HTTP traffic leaking, but not against hardware and network leaking. McDonald's adds that it's, an important, it's important to know if the apps you're using are HTTP encrypted, which prevents the kinds of data leaks he's exploiting. Most apps are securely encrypted, though some of the traffic that leaks into and out of apps like Instagram and Facebook is not. When McDonald first began making security-related artwork, he felt it was the artist's responsibility to raise awareness of what was happening. That perspective has shifted over the years, especially in our post-Snowden era. Now he says artists don't need to be whistleblowers. Rather, he believes they need to help people understand immediate impacts of security issues. I realize whistleblowers are good at raising awareness, and artists are pretty good at something else, he says, which is giving people direct experiences of things. Well, I've said it before, yeah, public Wi-Fi is dangerous. <laughs> it is. Well, it's not so much a Wi-Fi stingray. Um... If you oh, have Wi-Fi's Wi-Fi's far more open than Stingrays than uh, the, the the normal data networks on yeah Wi-Fi is like the worst thing and everybody yeah. wants free Wi-Fi so they don't have to pay roaming data and or yeah, whatever. Yeah, VPNs have their flaws, but it will cut back on the amount of leakage. Yeah, just not all of it. And yeah. and Facebook is the worst. Has anybody looked at the new privacy policy? <laughs> they. They are the worst. They it has a privacy policy, really? Allegedly, yeah. yeah. I thought it was everything you do is ours, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's pretty much their everything you policy. do. Yeah. Pretty much their their privacy policy is everything you do online belongs to us. We will sell it as we see fit, and oh, the the EU courts forced us to give you back the right to your face in your photos. We no longer own that. Yeah. That's pretty much the privacy policy. And, and Google's much the same. Uh, pretty much, yeah. So, yeah. And since they I, own most of the social media stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what do you think they're doing with it? I yeah. mean... Well, I what, kinda... I what I find hilarious, right? Mm -hmm. um, Windows 10. Windows 10 that is the thing. first Windows to have a built-in VPN, which is hilarious considering the amount of data gathering Windows 10 has built in. 
Windows so, yeah, 10 we've added this security, but opened up this whole other bit of security. Well, yeah. Windows 10 with their auto-secure, auto-updates that you can't X out of or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's annoyed a lot of people in the last month. Privacy advocates have gotten so mad, they've, they've gone to the Electronic Frontier Foundation and begged them to start an investigation into the legality of it. Yeah. Because... Um, no shit, it probably is illegal to do that. But to I'll someone. just say to everyone with a Windows computer, yeah, <laughs> spy bot anti beacon when you get to Windows 10. Uh, yeah, very good, good piece of software. Mm -hmm. Shuts down all the data gathering nonsense. Uh, yeah, now they need to build something that does it for Google. I mean, don't oh, get me no wrong. There's no way you can do it for Google, unfortunately. No. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some really great stuff. Google's got some really good stuff in the App Store. There's Ghostery, which I yes. love. Ghostery is the most awesome thing if you're using a web browser on anything. If you're using it on a phone, Ghostery will block you. It makes it like you aren't even there. I mean, you still got to delete cookies and everything still accumulates and acquires junk. But you can get rid of that pretty easily. Yeah. And it makes it, you're almost invisible to everything. Ghostery yep. is excellent. Well, there, there um, are a few sites that won't open yeah. because, yeah, it detects Ghostery and goes, no, turn that off. We're <laughs> not yeah. getting in. Yeah, it's privacy. Like, it's, like, it's like the big fat doorman at a nightclub. Yeah, kind of. Privacy so if badger. Put, if you don't take that off, you're not coming in here. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, Some of the news sites do that. Yeah, they do. Privacy There's ways around it, though. Yeah, Privacy Badger is pretty good. Um, that's that's something the Electronic Frontier Foundation put out. It's great. I use it. I use Ghostry. I use a lot of stuff to shield myself online. And it's not because I'm paranoid. It is because everybody really is out to get my data. And I like my data where it originates from with me. I don't really think you need to market to me. You have nothing to worry about. Anything I'm going to buy, I'm already going to buy. None of your clever advertising is going to work with me. And, and yeah, just just for our special listeners, yellow cake. <laughs> oh, God. Um, let's see. Do we want to talk about tattoos? Or, oh, let's talk about the FBI. <laughs> because the FBI lives in its own special fairy tale world where everything is possible and they can have anything they want, even if they can't. FBI kept demanding e email records despite Department of Justice saying it needed a warrant. The secret government request for government information Yahoo made public Wednesday revealed that the FBI is still demanding email records from companies without a warrant despite being told by the Justice Department lawyers in 2008 that it doesn't have lawful authority to do so. That comes as a particular surprise given that FBI Director James Cormery has said that one of his top legislative priorities this year is to get the right to acquire precisely such records with those warrantless secret requests called National Security Letters or NSLs. We need it very much, Cormery told Senator Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, during a congressional hearing in February. An issue is whether the national security letters empower the FBI to demand what are called electronic communication transaction records, or ECTRs. Such records can include email header information, not their content, and browsing histories. 
2008, the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel concluded that the FBI was only entitled to get the name, address, length of service, and troll and toll billing records from companies without a warrant. Opinions issued by the OLC are generally treated as binding and final within the executive branch. The FBI has said it disagrees with that conclusion and interprets the opinion differently. According to a 2014 Inspector General report, it sees the question as more of an impasse than an actual legal barrier. But activists, members of Congress, and academics think the, think the DOJ opinion was pretty clear. The Justice Department told FBI officials that they want to demand Americans' email records. They need it in a court order, Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, said in a statement emailed to The Intercept. It's very troubling that the FBI apparently has not been adhering to that guidance. It seems that the FBI has again crossed the line when it comes to ECTRs, even after being explicitly told under the Bush administration, no less, that they were not legally authorized to demand these personal records absent a court order. Robin Green, privacy counsel for the Open Technology Institute, wrote in a message to The Intercept, the last thing Congress should be doing right now is giving the FBI more leeway to abuse its NSL authorities. The FBI declined to comment, but one of the letters Yahoo released after being released from a gag order stated as follows. Under authority of Executive Order 12333, dated July 30, 2008, and pursuant to Title 18 of the United States Code, USC, 2709-201 of the Electronic Communications Privacy Act of 1986 has amended, you are hereby directed to provide the Federal Bureau of Investigation the names, addresses, length of service, and electronic communication transaction records to include existing transaction activity logs and electronic mail header information for the below listed email IP address holder. Major service providers know the FBI doesn't have the authority to make all those demands. In fact, Yahoo did turn over electronic communication transaction records, including activity logs and all email information. We disclosed the records as authorized by law, wrote Chris Madden, head of Yahoo's global enforcement, security, and safety team in a blog post. Chris Segoyan, chief technologist of the American Civil Liberties Union, said FBI agents might be hoping at least some recipients don't know they lack the authority they claim to have. Essentially, the FBI believes they can ask for the sun, the moon, and the stars in an NSL, while knowing tech companies don't have to turn over anything more than name, address, and length of service, he wrote in an email. The FBI asks for so much because it is banking that some companies won't know the law and will disclose more than they have to. The FBI is preying on small companies who don't have the resources to hire national security law experts, he argued. Facebook officials drafted and made public their law enforcement guidance in 2012 in the hopes of clarifying what they believed technology companies are required to turn over. We interpret the national security letter provision as applied to Facebook to require the production of only two categories of information, name and length of service, reads the guidelines. Technology companies rarely talk about national security letters because of the accompanying gag orders. But one technology company official told The Intercept on background that it is our general understanding that other companies also comply narrowly in line with the DOJ OLC opinion. The FBI issued nearly 13,000 national security letters in 2015 alone for information about over 50,000 different people. That's about all I'm going to read of that. I don't feel like getting sued. <laughs> yeah, it's the usual. Yeah, the FBI are in their little fady land uh, and are interpreting quite clearly written laws any way they feel like. 
Well, and they've been doing that a while, but I mean, but the, they're the absolutely bit, the right. The bit with Comey is, or however you say his name. Yeah, I think he's definitely been talking to our particular Secretary of State about what email information he wants Ugh. with our Snoopers Charter, because it's almost identical. But it's even worse. Yeah. I mean, the next story I'm going to read is bad. Not that anything that happens here is any better, but, you know, hey, I'm not talking about China or Somalia this week. UK's Home Office is creating a mega database by stitching together all its government records. At least it consulted the public? Parliament? No one? What? The UK Home Office is secretly creating a centralized database on the good folk of Britain without presenting the capability increases to the public or subjecting them to parliamentary scrutiny. Scrutiny. The register can reveal the project, which was described as simply a replatforming of a department's aging IT infrastructure, has already begun to roll out with the first wave of changes being delivered in what is called the Technology Platforms for Tomorrow, the TPT program. TPT will lay the foundations for this mega database by ushering in core infrastructure, compute platforms, and live service capability changes, primarily using Hadoop the open source software framework for centralizing databases and allowing batch queries and analysis to be run across them in bulk. All this data on the population is currently stored in siloed and disparate databases. Connecting it could make it possible to automatically follow individuals' records all across the home office to many directorates from two years worth of card journeys logged in the ANPR data center to the passport database, the police databases, and many others. After laying off over a third of its IT staff, the Home Office has recently been attempting to recruit a dupe specialist to help it build and maintain this new single platform, with the presentation and talk seemingly doing the rounds around the circuit until the Home Office got spooked by the register. According to one of these presentations, which your correspondent intended, the department will be using HDFS, the Hadoop file system, for storing all the data that its various directorates are imbibing, which could imagine it could be video, it could be anything. Among the aims in using this data, according to the consultant Stephen Derkin, delivering a presentation at Hadoop Use Group meeting earlier this year, was to create interactive applications for the border force at border control points, also for police officers actually in their cars. The applications would run on handheld devices as well as interactive applications, potentially for other home office departments, and also being able to produce transaction applications so we can run analytics, so we can run all sorts of various algorithms around there, including machine learning, adds Dirkin. Despite the increased capability to automate digital tracking of the population and the intention to run machine learning algorithms on the public's information, there's been no presentation to these details to Parliament, and there will be no additional scrutiny or oversight mechanisms applied to it. The plans were criticized by the leader of the Liberal Democrats, Tim Farron, MP, who told the Register trying to get away with a substantial change by simply labeling it as IT replatforming is simply unacceptable. With measures such as the request filter being pushed in the investigatory powers bill, centralizing databases will essentially allow the government to build up a full profile of every single person in the country. Yeah, on, on, on the bright side, uh, 
Yeah, they don't have a good history of getting computer systems to work properly. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't They centralised this. They, they, uh, they've done a little experiment with the social security stuff, trying to unify mm-hmm. loads of benefits to be one benefit. Right. Uh, they still haven't got it working right. They've been working <laughs> on it for seven years. Um, <laughs> but they're rolling it out countrywide, obviously. It doesn't work, but they're still rolling it out. Um, <laughs> so this will be similar. Um, it'll probably be... If they get let their free run and they right. get to try and do it, it'll probably take them 20 years to get it working right. Because the Home Office are just aren't very good with computer systems. They never have been. Well, um, they don't seem Especially like not good. when they lay off a third of their previous staff <laughs> and then try to rehire new people. Well, I mean, they don't seem like they're good with much. I mean, no. Theresa May looks more and more like a Bond villain every time I see her. Yeah. Oh, and just to let you know, yeah, your call is dropping in and out of quality-wise. Oh, that I'm sorry. That lovely storm you have going on over there must be... I'm sorry. Can you oh, it's guys... Still, it's still fine at the moment. Okay. Um, I'm sorry about that. It sometimes drops back. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Hopefully you guys can still hear me. Um, oh, we're still going out. Uh, okay. You, you break well, up at points. I'm sorry. It's the weather. Um, yeah. I could have not done something this evening, but I really didn't want to. Um, I've not done a couple of shows this year, and I felt bad because Monday nights are my slot, and this well, is what I do. you can't control the weather. I know, but Monday nights are my slot, and this is what I do. It's, you know. Besides, it's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just to let you know, you're going a bit Dalek-y on occasion. I'm sorry. (laughs) Exterminate. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So, actually, you want to talk about Doctor Who for a second? I hear they want Hermione Granger to be the new Doctor. Yeah, that's been floating about today. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't see it, but I, you know, I'm really not a fan of Peter Cabaldi in this one. I don't know. Oh, I, I, I like him. Just the writing for him isn't. Yeah, you know, the writing in the last series was not very good. I sound like Max Headroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the bright side, you don't look like Max Headroom. That that is a very good thing. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, if you can only hear me a little bit. Oh no, the it does say it's fine. It's just occasionally you break up a little. Okay. U.S. Secret Service agents disciplined over congressman. Yeah, I know. U.S. authorities have disciplined 41 Secret Service personnel for improperly accessing and leaking the personal information of a congressman who had scrutinized the agency, the Department of Homeland Security said. The announcement comes after a report in September by the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General, who accused the Secret Service employees of accessing the personal files of Republican Congressman Jason Chavez of Utah, Chairman of the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform, who has led several inquiries into alleged misconduct at the agency. They are punished with measures ranging from a letter of reprimand to suspensions without pay for up to 45 days, the Department of Homeland Security Head Judd Johnson said in a statement on Tuesday, Thursday, sorry, one person found to have given information about Chavez 
to the Washington Post resigned from the service, he said. Like many others, I was appalled by the episode reflected in the Inspector General's report, which brought real discredit to the Secret Service, Johnson said. Federal privacy laws prevented the disclosure of more details, he added. Secret Service employees had accessed Shivet's job application more than 60 times, even though they had no official need to query Chairman Chavez's name, the report in September said. Soon after Chavez held a meeting on the agency in March, he was reported to have been rejected for a Secret Service job in 2003. The incident is a latest embarrassment for the Secret Service as it tries to recover from the string of scandals. The government and scandal? Yeah. yeah. Weirdly, <laughs> the thing I find most horrifying in that story is... The Secretary of Homeland Security guy's name. Who calls their kid J? <laughs> J E H. That's not a name. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the government agents overstepping their bounds and giving out information they're not supposed to. Yeah, that's been happening as long as right. there's been governments. But really, you called your kid J? J. J. Yes, it's it's no, no a. wonder it's he's a, an asshole. It's a beautiful name. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like the. Yeah. Possibly like perfect meh. perfect job for somebody with that name. Actually, I refer you to Jeff. <laughs> you know, every year I think I think we're getting closer and closer to idiocracy, and yeah. that guy's name just proves it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. He must have had a hell of a time at school. That's all I'm saying. I wonder if it stands for something. No idea. I mean, like, what what the hell? I hope it's not his given name and that's just what he wants. But then again, if that's what he wants people to call him, that's even worse. (laughs) Oh, I had a great grandfather named Jebediah. That was pretty bad. That's better than Je. Kinda, yeah. When he answers the phone, people must get confused. Jess speaking. What? (laughs) 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 I don't really find much to laugh over, so this is refreshing. Oh, crap. You can find humor anywhere if you're deranged, like me. (laughs) Well, you do have to wonder what his parents were thinking of. Obviously not names. (laughs) I shall call him Jeff. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Let's see. Um, I said we were going to talk about Tati and Nist. The FBI is studying prisoners' tattoos and pissing off privacy hawks. In 2004, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, um, and maybe people don't remember this, but um, NIST was also the place where one of the agents was running a lab making meth and blew it up. I just thought I would mention that. In collaboration with the FBI, started studying how effective tattoo recognition systems are using tattoo images collected from inmates and arrestees to create a database that acts as a standardized metric. 
With the research set to expand dramatically, privacy advocates have raised serious concerns over not just how the research was conducted, but how law enforcement might use it in the future. In a lengthy report, the Electronic Frontier Foundation lays out several apparent issues with NIST's tattoo recognition technology study. It used 15,000 FBI-provided images of tattoos from prisoners to create a data set, which the FBI then distributed to 19 outside parties. Those organizations, which range from universities to research institutions to private companies, including EFF Notes MorphoTrack, which provides biometric tech to law enforcement agencies, applied their algorithms to data set and reported back their effectiveness at identifying tattoos, identifying the same tattoo over time, and matching common visual elements between tattoos to help determine connections among individuals. For its part, NIST maintains that because the study used only isolated images without accompanying information about the individuals from whom they came, it was not a subject it was not subject to stringent regulations that would accompany human research studies. The project has been reviewed and determined not to meet the criteria for human subjects research as defined by federal regulations, the organization said in a statement. Tattoos, though, often don't need accompanying information to help identify individuals. They can contain names, date of birth, and other unique signifiers. More importantly, they can be used to identify someone's religion, political, social, or other affiliation information that law enforcement can use to profile people regardless of their actions. Ms. Spokeswoman, Gail Porter acknowledged the privacy concerns. Once we're notified that a limited number of images could potentially contain identifiable information, we notified the FBI, she tells Wired. And I'm sure with the FBI the way they are, they jumped immediately to fix that. Like a tattoo. Earlier this week at Cannes, a photograph of Iranian actress Taneh Adjusti <clears throat> revealed an arm tattoo that appeared to be a feminist symbol. It caused a minor fur in her home country. Iran is not exactly a bastion of women's rights. An image of her tattoo branded her, bringing down criticism from the traditionalist establishment. Adulsti's tattoo was discovered because she was a public figure at a public event, and being a feminist is no crime in most parts of the world. Still, the incident is a helpful reminder that tattoos have meanings beyond themselves. Replace the French paparazzi with law enforcement surveillance cameras and a famous actress with a South Side teen, and it's not hard to imagine the various ways in which tattoo recognition could be misused by law enforcement. Police have long collected tattoo images from arrestees just as they do fingerprints. There's a difference, though, between maintaining a text-based database or physical photo albums and a digital tattoo database that can be used to establish connections between individuals. What extent do they use this technology to put people in law enforcement databases and watch lists, As EFF investigative researcher Dave Moss. If a tattoo recognition algorithm says a tattoo might be affiliated with gang activity, that person might be affiliated. Moss also notes that it's not simply tattoos that could be used to identify such affiliations. They could be also used to misidentify. In one extreme example, Moss points out a Chicago gang shares a six-pointed star symbol with the Jewish faith. Overlaps like that are not infrequent. Law enforcement may end up roping in a lot of people who aren't affiliated. Another potential issue, tattoos can last longer than the associations they represent. If an individual doesn't have the time, money, or inclination to remove a tattoo from a part of their life from which they've moved on, they could still be considered a party to it if a camera catches their ink. Ultimately, Moss says, any concerns you have about facial recognition can be applied to tattoo recognition as well. Undersight. EFF, 
EFF's other major concern is the manner in which the research was conducted. A major part of the Tattoo Recognition Technology Initiative has been the Tattoo Recognition Technology Challenge, TATC, which compiled those 15,000 images and distributed them to 19 third-party organizations. The TATC competition required participants to perform a series of tests and report the results to NIST, the EFF writes. These experiments included identifying whether an image contained a tattoo and whether algorithms could match different images of the same tattoo over time. The research was also conducted outside of the common rule, a policy that mandates heightened oversight of experiments involving human subjects. That means there was no involvement from an independent review board, which would have included either a prisoner or the representative to make sure ethical violations were not taking place. I don't think researchers should be using prisoners as a free data resource, Moss says. In this country, we have rules that are meant to protect prisoners because of a long history of ethically challenged scientific research on them. If the study is going to use prisoner information, it needs to go through the highest possible scrutiny to make sure people's rights aren't violated and that prisoners know what has happened to them. The EFF's position is that those 19 third parties should return the images they received and destroy any backups. From there, it says any further studies along this line should be overseen by an independent review board. For its part, NIST has already moved images of tattoos that contain information that could identify individuals from the internet and related its concerns to the FBI. The next phase of the program, the Tattoo Recognition Ta Technology Evaluation, TAT-E, will use the third-party algorithms to analyze a data set of 100,000 tattoo images. They'll be collected from law enforcement agencies in Florida, Michigan, and Tennessee. It had been scheduled for this summer, but is currently on hold. NIST will not run the TAT-E evaluation until it has carefully reviewed the EFF report, said Porter, and performed a human subjects review of the project. Well, there's a couple of things here. Okay. One, if the information has come from humans, it's a human study, therefore you need the oversight. Mm-hmm. That's simple. I don't care what the FBI, NIST, or anybody else says. If there is a human mm -hmm. as the source of the information, be it a tattoo, their face, what they've said, anything, mm -hmm. anything that's used in a big data set, it's human research. Mm -hmm. I don't care what their lawyers say. Um, sure. It's, it's basic ethics. Mm -hmm. There's humans involved, ethics. therefore it's a human project. I agree with you, and um, it is basic ethics, and the fact that they've run around and pretend it's not is disgusting. Yeah, they did that. The, uh, there's a vaping one, the guys that hung around in the vaping event taking air samples, they also yeah. didn't have, didn't go for an independent review because it wasn't human subjects directly. But it, and it's but like, it no, but it involved human subjects, therefore it's human subjects. Agreed. If Agreed. it's activity of humans, it's humans. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it, yeah, twisting round using lawyer speak to get round it doesn't yeah. make it right. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But you're talking about ethics. Yeah. And they're talking about a means to an end. Uh, the other thing to bring up, I've mentioned it before on here, is the British police uh, use a more interesting way to get around certain ethical problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually works better than automated <laughs> stupid computer software. It's the fact that the police now have a, a, a officers who are referred to as recognisers. Right. These are people with very good social memory. 
Okay. Uh, if anybody listening doesn't know what a social memory is, it's people who are very good at remembering names, faces, conversations, social interaction, basically. Mm -hmm. So the police are now identifying officers who are good at this and using them to keep track of criminals. So instead of having a computer database, oh, that guy's tattoo, who, who does he know? They just so bring in one people. of these officers and go, that guy, what do you know about him? And he list off everything. That's... It's far more efficient. They already, they're already employing the guys anyway. Because... Mm -hmm. uh, it's something like one in ten of the population has a social memory. So it's not uncommon. And it gets around all these ethical issues about having an official database. Because instead of having an official database, you're using your like officer's experience. And and when the guy's getting close to retirement, you just get him to work <laughs> with the new guy and pass yeah. on his experience. And that's how the British police have been getting around lots of the data protection laws. Well, <laughs> it's yeah. it's possibly unethical, but at least it's not being stored in a big computer database that can be hacked. Well, I mean, that's also misused, true, but I mean, what's or, what's yeah. going on with your police, too? I mean, they don't even do arresting or, or warrant search ser servants anymore. Not um, much, no. The, that would be Theresa May's husband's company that does it. So, you know, once they own the police, once the government actually officially owns the police, what do you think your privacy rights will look like then? It's going to be interesting, it must be said, because the police yeah. aren't going to go without a big, big fight. Theresa May's already lost some of the skirmishes with the police, so she's got to be <sighs> careful. Yeah. Because our mean, police, yeah, there's problems with it. Yeah, in general, they are a good thing over here. Well, um, and they yeah. have fought back. I mean, even some of the police think her database ideas are fucking insane. Well, it's because she's are. fucking <laughs> insane. I yeah. mean, she, you know, it. They're like, we, you know, they're going. We don't need all this information. <laughs> we don't want all this information. Well, I mean, Stop they definitely bring in laws about it. Well, they definitely don't need all that information because you know exactly what happens. When you get too much information, you get like our our um, Department of Homeland Security, which actually knows that things are going to happen, but they're sitting on so much information that they can't wade through it all. Well, they I mean, don't know exactly when or thing. who. What Theresa May is trying to do over here is basically double up what GCHQ is already doing anyway, which is just lunacy. Because what she's asking in her snooper's charter, GCHQ, that's what they do. That is their job. That's what they were set up for. Right. But she wants the police to be able to do it as well. It's like, what? But Why? you don't. <laughs> but, you've, but you've got one agency that you're paying to do it anyway. Yeah. Why do you need another? You don't. I mean, shit. GCHQ you... give the police information every single day of the week. Mm hmm. When it you know relates to criminal activity, the, the stuff they've picked up, mm -hmm. we know it does. You know, there's been newspaper reports about it. Well, but no, I mean, no, they she, don't... she wants the police, a, a police body, to do it as well. <laughs> it's like you're crazy. Well, I mean, what it's doing is adding another I think layer. Of... What she doesn't like is GCHQ That's... keep telling her to piss off whenever <laughs> she asks for information. Well. Right, but I mean, it, 
having another agency do another agency's work just adds duplication for no need. Yeah. I, w what we've got here in this country is we've got the NSA, the FBI, the CIA, and God knows who else all doing the same fucking work. And, and nobody knows what anybody's doing. Yeah. And that's because our government's so big, no one's accountable. And yet you've got someone who's kind of got an accountability in the UK who wants to force duplication and force stuff to be paid for twice. It's just retarded. Yep. She's retarded. Oh, know. yeah. I mean, she's, she's not getting much headway on all the craziness she's trying to bring in. Because, yeah, the police are opposing it. Loads of politicians are opposing it. MI5 and MI6 are opposing it because <laughs> they know they don't need it because they can just ask GCHQ if they want information. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's just she can't ask GCHQ for information. I think that's what's annoying her. Well, She's a public servant, but the secret services don't answer to her. Well, they shouldn't answer <laughs> They answer to the government, not one individual. So, yeah, I think it gets on her nerves. I think she's a pain in the ass who's looking for more money. Yeah. That's what I think. Well, but no, I think that part, part of it was she's possibly trying for a long-term run to be Prime Minister. <laughs> she I is... don't think anyone would vote for her, but, you know. <laughs> she is something else. Um, okay, so I said, I said in my show notes we talk about the CDC a little bit. Once again, I actually have to give a lot of credit to um what's that horrible newspaper usa today for hmm. actually doing a really thorough job of investigation uh i there's not normally a reason to trust them but other other newspapers have been involved in this story and it's a pretty big one newly disclosed cdc biolab failures like a screenplay for a disaster movie. Encased in spacesuit-like gear needed to protect them from the world's deadliest viruses, four scientists at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention stepped into their lab's decontamination chamber, where a shower of chemicals was supposed to kill anything on them and make it safe for them to exit into an adjacent changing room. But the shower wouldn't start, and the warning lights appeared as a cascading series of safety systems began to fail inside one of the world's most advanced biosafety level four labs. That's the highest level of contaminant and security reserved for work with the deadly Ebola and smallpox viruses and other pathogens that lack vaccines or reliable treatments. The gasket sealer on the exit door to the changing room started deflated to the point that the scientists could see the light coming in. And as they held that door shut and started an emergency chemical deluge, things got even worse. The shower's door back into the infectious disease lab forcefully burst open again and again, and they couldn't even hold it shut. Meanwhile, air pressure alarms were blinking and monitors displayed the lab as red, according to records of the February 2009 incident, recently obtained by USA Today under a Freedom of Information Act. The CDC took three and a half years to fulfill the request. The records release comes as the CDC has faced two congressional hearings since a series of high-profile lab incidents in 2014 with anthrax, Ebola, and a deadly strain of avian flu, and amid mounting concerns in Congress about the effectiveness of lab regulation and whether a lack of transparency keeps serious lab safety problems from being um, told to the public. Despite the dramatic series of equipment failures in the 2009 Biosafety Level 4 lab incident, 
The newly released records include emails showing some within the agency sought at the time to avoid reporting the to federal lab regulators and another division at the agency, though they eventually were notified. The incident summary reads like a screenplay for a disaster movie, said Richard Albright, a Rhodes University biosafety expert who reviewed the report at USA Today's request and called it a major incident. Overall, the incident shows that failures, even cascading, compounding, and catastrophic failures of biosafety level 4 biocontainment labs occur, said Albright, who has testified before Congress about CDC safety issues. And the attempted cover-up within the CDC makes it clear that the CDC cannot be relied upon to police its own, much less other institutions. CDC officials say there was never any risk posed by the lab's equipment failures, although the scientific team just finished conducting an inventory of the freezer in the lab that contained numerous frozen virus specimens, likely including Ebola and smallpox viruses. No work live agents had yet been done in the lab, which was still new at the time. CDC Building 18 houses numerous labs, including a suite of biosafety level 4 labs. Document released under the Freedom of Information Act. Um, yeah, okay. After the scientists, after the far scientists called for help, I don't know why this goes like this, but it just—it's weird. After the four scientists called for help, building engineers were able to operate the chemical shower manually, allowing for a safe exit from the lab. The CDC said the failures were traced back to a software error in the lab's operating system, and it was fixed the same day. Additional alarms were added to the lab to notify engineering staff if such a malfunction were to occur again, which it hasn't, the agency said. Yes, there was some malfunction. There was a clearly established protocol for how to deal with the malfunction. It was quickly and rapidly executed, said Steve Monroe, who last fall was permanently appointed to head the new CDC lab safety office, charged with improving the safety culture at the Atlanta-based agency. Even if work with live pathogens had been underway inside the lab, the potential risk would have been exceedingly small. Last month, USA Today revealed that a subset of labs at the CDC's Fort Collins, Colorado infectious disease facility are among a handful of labs nationwide that have had their federal permits secretly suspended in recent years for safety violations while working with bioterror pathogens. Yet, USA Today has now learned that the CDC kept even Congress in the dark about the Fort Collins incident and some others, despite an oversight committee asking the agency in 2014 for a list of all incidents at CDC labs since 2002 involving bioterror pathogens found in unauthorized areas. The CDC said the information was inadvertently admitted. According to an August 2014 letter, CDC Director Tom Frieden sent to the chairman of the House Energy and Commerce Committee Recently obtained by USA Today, the CDC did not include the Fort Collins incident when it responded to the committee's questions in the wake of a hearing that summer on CDC safety lapses. The letter listed 10 other incidents, but not the incident involving the specimens of Japanese encephalitis virus found in an unauthorized CDC lab in Fort Collins. Although the virus was considered a select agent, the government's term for certain viruses, bacteria, and toxins that have the potential to be used as bioweapons, at the time of the incident, it was delisted in 2012. We're very concerned that there could be some gaps in the CDC's response to our pointed oversight inquiries, U.S. Representative Fred Upton from Michigan, the committee's chairman, told the USA Today. <clears throat> in response to new questions from the committee, Monroe said the CDC had identified a handful of other incidents that also were not disclosed in Frieden's 2014 letter. 
which was sent before his new safety office had created a centralized reported system for lab accidents and near-miss incidences at the agency. Because we don't want to repeat having admitted any data we supplied to the committee, we are working extensively to make sure we have an absolutely comprehensive answer before we reply to the committee, Monroe said. Monroe said his office is committed to being open and transparent as possible about lab incidents at the CDC and pointed to the agency's public announcement in March disclosing a lab a CDC lab worker had become infected with a strain of salmonella used in their work, getting the CDC to release records about lab incidents. Under the Federal Freedom of Information Act can often take several years. In January of 2015, an effort to determine the extent of lab accidents at the agency's facilities, USA Today filed an FOIA request seeking copies of the incident reports at the CDC lab in Atlanta and Fort Collins during 2013 and 14. The CDC granted the request expedited processing, but uh, status because USA Today demonstrated a compelling public need for the information. But the agency has said it will likely be 2018 before the records are released. The newly disclosed 2009 incident in the BSL 4 decontamination shower is among about 4,000 pages of records the agency released in late January in response to two FOIA requests USA Today filed in 2012. Those requests sought records about airflow and security door incidents at the CDC $214 million, 368,000 square foot emerging infectious diseases laboratory in Atlanta, commonly referred to by the agency as Building 18. Most of these release records, which focus on air, airflow engineering issues in labs, involve an incident in 12, 2012 that USA Today reported four years ago based on documents obtained from sources. The issue clearly involved air from inside a potentially contaminated lab briefly blowing outward to a clean corridor where a group of visitors weren't wearing any protective gear, among other incidents revealed in the records. In 2011, a worker feeding animals in an enhanced biosafety level 3 lab used for studies on dangerous strains of avian flu was unable to shower out of the lab after a construction contractor mistakenly closed the wrong water valve in a service tunnel. Not knowing when the water would come back on, the worker removed her protective equipment, put on a clean protective suit, and left the lab without taking a shower. I escorted her through the service tunnel to building Redacted, where she signed into our Redacted Select Agent Laboratory. She disposed of the Tyback suit in a biohazard bag, placed her scrubs in the laundry bin, and took a personal shower. The CDC told USA Today that because of the potential for any exposure was considered a low risk, a medical evaluation was not required. Hang on, this is long. Um, in 2008, an unvacated repair, unvaccinated repair worker was potentially exposed to an undisclosed pathogen when a door containing contaminated items unexpectedly opened in a malfunctioning device called an autoclave that is used to sterilize equipment and other items. The infectious materials inside the device included bedding from infected mice and used laundry. While a report of the incident said that the material may have escaped through the clean side door that was opened, was likely to be drawn upward to the exhaust. The worker was told to shower and his clothes, shoes, wallet, and watch and other personal items were disinfected. He was escorted to the clinic for evaluation. The other personal items were disinfected. Uh, he was the report notes that the autoclave was installed backwards during the building construction and that as a result the manual override controls for the door are reversed which ultimately resulted in the incident is it just me <laughs> as i'm reading this laundry list of shit 
Yeah, I mean, they should really stop, like, Disney, you know, being in charge of building labs. Because, <laughs> yeah, Mickey Mouse operations. Because, uh, yeah, I mean... How do you... The, Brit you the British government <clears throat> have said oh they don't do this sort of research anymore. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll believe that. Uh -huh. But, yeah, the four scientists in the first report, the main report, mm -hmm. yeah. If that had happened in one of the UK biolabs of the past, those four guys would be dead now. Because <laughs> when the door seal and the airlock failed in the systems that they came up with in the UK, mm -hmm. giant pressure doors with no manual override would have slammed down and they'd have been stuck in there, run out of air, and eventually the chemicals automatically released into the environment... <laughs> would have eaten through their suits and dissolved them. But obviously the CDC don't take things quite as seriously. Um, I know, oh, well, doors failing, yeah, fine. Yeah. But autoclaves popping open? Yeah. I... <clears throat> yeah, they can't even put the equipment in right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if anybody else has dealt with an autoclave. Maybe you have, I know I have. I have, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's they're pretty really hard to get hard open. Hard to open. <laughs> That's what I don't get. It's got and big if it's got laundry handles, in it, you need to put big. all your yeah, exactly. on. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going, how in the fuck did you, A, put on a door backwards, and B, how did this poor bastard even get it open? Yeah, if, even <laughs> if it's correct and the door was on backwards, that meant... He shouldn't. It shouldn't have been able to be opened because then there ain't exactly. handles to open it with. Exactly. Exactly. Because there aren't it, handles on the inside. Inside. <laughs> yeah, generally, when you put something in an autoclave, you want it to die. Yeah, because autoclaves um, aren't big either. No. I mean, you know. I mean, this one had to have been bigger than the, the kind I've seen in dental. Well, yeah, I mean, they do get they do so get fairly big, big but not and... not big enough that. You know, you can lean into one very easily. Uh, God. Not that you'd want to because of the heat coming off the damn things. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, that's I another just... thing. The guy in that instance, really lucky he didn't get quite severe burns. Burns. Yeah. Because it's above, I mean, the autoclaves run above boiling point of water. Yeah. They're they usually can. at like 200 degrees. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Um, okay. I. I, I don't even think I want to finish reading this. Um, but there were there were more incidents. Yeah. 2007. Backup Stuff about duct tape that people won't be hugely surprised by. Yeah. Well, they've... It's not <laughs> working right. We'll use duct tape. Lab door sealed with duct tape. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. But these these guys, yeah, they're, they're the specialists at dealing with these dangerous pathogens. Yeah. <laughs> And they built this building especially for them. I, I'm blown away. I am blown away. If you want to read something horrible, I put the FOI documents in the chat. And because everybody wants to read something horrible, because why would you be here if you didn't? Uh, I, that, that, that only rates up best mildly disturbing on the stuff I've read, so it's 
Yeah, well, I understand that, but you well, know, I've, I linked you to some of the stuff about the British to, weapons research. Yeah, yeah, um, your lot <laughs> likes to catalog all that and show people with horrible sores and stuff. And this is what happened when we exposed this person mm -hmm. to this. It's like, but what? <laughs> but we don't do that anymore, honest. Sure. In sure no way, yeah, yeah, they don't do it anymore on the UK mainland. <laughs> That's all I'll say about it. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. We we might have all these. Not Overseas dependencies, they refer them to them as, <laughs> where we might have situated labs that don't exist. God, um, not, not as far as you can prove, anyway. <laughs> oh, God, this is pretty bad. I, I, and I'm horrified by the fact that the autoclave door just popped open. How the fuck does that happen? I actually have a friend that was his job in a hospital. He ran the autoclave. Right. Yeah, he'd be well, horrified by that. Yeah, well, he should be. But, I mean, how do you even s install a door backwards like that? Yeah. It's got a big handle on the front with a big locking mechanism. Yeah, for people for people who aren't familiar, uh, <laughs> think think miniature version of submarine movies. You know, yeah. the, the big handle you lock the door shut with. Yeah, That's exactly. what autoclaves have on them. <laughs> yeah, so I don't understand how it was installed backwards. Big clunky so. mechanical locks, basically. Yep. So yeah, you put it's it on backwards, and it's like, where's the big handle? <laughs> That's what I don't get. So, so what you're saying is somebody loaded this full of stuff with the handle and the locking mechanism on the inside, and the front of the door was just plain metal, and nobody uh -huh. fucking noticed. Well, it's possible it did have some sort, of, you know, parts of the mechanism would then have been on the outside, but it'd be big <laughs> like push rods and stuff like that. More importantly, how did they manage to shut the door? <laughs> it can't have been shut properly, hence why it yeah. popped open. Yeah. So whoever had loaded it didn't know how to use it, which is even more of a concern. Yeah, so that means exactly. they've staff who haven't been trained right getting told to use the machinery. So basically it was take your daughter to work day uh -huh. and you let your seven-year-old load up the autoclave? I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm getting so from it. We're so overloaded with health and safety in the UK that, shit, even a chef couldn't get away with lax working practices like that with uh, a food mixer, let alone you know, a, a I'm, chemical I'm... lab, a well, pathogen lab. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I've, I've said in America, government is where you go to not get fired. Yeah. To me, that just totally proved that. Yeah. That just completely proved that. Oh, and the, the other classic one, the, the, the workman turning off the water. Yeah. How does that happen? Yeah, shouldn't he had to, like, sign 20 pieces of paper before he got let in to turn off the water? And well, then and the supervisors just... make sure nobody's in any of the areas where the water's going to be turned off? Well, it's, yeah. <laughs> Basic you... protocol, maybe? But obviously not. No. <laughs> not here. No, not here. We just let, you know, any... That was like, didn't we talk about the the nuclear silos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that should horrify you too. Our nuclear silos. Yeah, we, we get rid of all the highly trained guys and just put any old numbskull in there to yeah. piss around with the nuclear weapons. It, they were having, wasn't it, they were having a malfunction? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then, then I remember the story right. They were having a malfunction and the door didn't work so they propped 
the door open, but one of the silos, there was something wrong. Mm -hmm. And everybody who was on duty was asleep, but somebody had called for pizza first. Yeah. And it was the pizza guy who discovered that there was a potential nuclear accident with one of the warheads at one of our nuclear silos. Yeah, people, th pe pe people think, yeah, all these things were done very professionally. Uh, no. No, this shit, ha all these mistakes happen all the damn time. Uh -huh. More happen here than in your country, apparently. We've had longer to perfect how to not let idiots near the dangerous stuff. Uh, <laughs> that's, all, that's, that's the only reason we have less. We had loads, you know, a hundred years ago. You know, but, yeah. <laughs> Well, as I say, things like we, we officially shut down all our chemical and biological weapons research locations. Um, wink, wink, nudge, in, in, nudge. In the 50s and 60s. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, since we have so many overseas territories that have awfully large bases for what they are, um, <laughs> in no way would we have decided, <laughs> hmm, this stuff's dangerous. We'll put it in somebody else's country. We'll just test it in India. It's fine. Yeah. They don't have any health problems there. No, no, no. It's it, we, we have all these little Pacific Island territories <laughs> and the like. Because yeah. you don't want to ruin the Caribbean because it's nice well. for holidays. Um, <laughs> so, so We do the know, money actually, laundering in the Caribbean and do the weapons research true. elsewhere. Actually, I was going to suggest the Bikini Atoll would be a perfect place to put a bioweapons lab, although you've still got that nasty radiation to deal with there. Well, you could use Christmas Island, except we made it underwater. <laughs> hey, an underwater biosafety lab. My, my father worked on that. The oceans. My, my father was one of the guys that built the tower for the nuclear weapon on Christmas Island. Huh. For one of the British weapons tests. <laughs> and his comment was, we turned it from 20 feet above sea level to 20 feet under sea level. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perfect. It's perfect. People plan. forget it wasn't just the French that liked blowing up pieces of the Pacific with nuclear weapons. They did it more than everybody else, but yeah, the British did it as well. So. No, we just like to blow up Utah. Oh, Fuck. and Southern Indian Ocean, we did some of the tests as well. Just so it wasn't all Pacific. Yeah. <laughs> eco opportunities, eco terrorism. Yeah. I, uh, I've got to admit, <laughs> the biosafety stuff, like, freaks me out a lot. Oh, the yeah, it's horrifying. Uh, my, my other comment on the story is, have the heads of the CDC read the stand and think that should be standard operating practice? Well, I'm they sure think it's I'm sure you've read Mr. King's book. I'm sure you yes. know what I mean. Yeah, yeah well, I'm... I'm, per I'm that uh, seems to be what they're aiming for. Idiots Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of does seem to be what they want, though. They just want to have the monkeys or, in charge or, of the monkey house. Or, here's the other scary thought. Stephen King is warping reality. <laughs> and he wrote The Stand, and it's warping reality so that it comes true. You know, really? Do we really need to go there? <laughs> I really liked that. I really well, liked I made you laugh earlier, so I've got to horrify <laughs> you now. I really liked The Stand. Yeah. That was one of my favorite King books, actually. That and um, what's the one about the tower? The tower. Um, yeah. 
The Dark Tower. But it, yeah. The Dark Tower. Yeah. The, I liked those. It's being made into a TV show, apparently. Is it really? Yeah. Allegedly. I wonder how they'll botch that up. So, uh, I don't know if you saw they're going to remake Stephen King's It, and they've got a handsome clown to play Pennywise. I'm like, really? But, but Mr. Curry said, did such a good job. Yeah, I, I just, I don't understand. How do you Okay, do the rest that? of the casting was terrible in that, and the acting was terrible well, in, they were in the original children. version. But yeah. but not Penny, Pennywise, perfect. Yeah, no, he did a great job. I just don't understand how you Other cast good casting, them. I just got round to watching the Daredevil TV show. I I'd heard that Excellent casting really on Vincent good. D'Onofrio. I heard that Daredevil... The series was much better than Daredevil, the film. Although, well, it would be know. hard to be worse, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you Vincent know. D'Onofrio, perfect choice for Kingpin, really. Mm. You know, uh, I don't want to say Ben Affleck ruined that, but... No, the script... Yeah, again, it wasn't completely no. Affleck's fault. It was... Yeah, no. the script writers were just terrible. I don't understand how some of this stuff gets greenlit, and yet they're going in to rework the Star Wars movie, what, the, the Force oh, yeah, or the, something? Yeah. Oh, the new one, yeah, uh, yeah. Rogue, Squad, uh, Rogue yeah. Squadron or whatever. Rogue yeah. One. No, no, but this is a Disney thing now. They do, they do reshoots. They do test versions, show members of the public and stuff, get feedback, and then go and, go and do reshoots. Because they did this with... Um, all the recent Avengers films and the like, oh. they've, they've done that. It's just well, a standard thing with Disney now. Yeah, they don't want people to not want, like go see it. I guess. Okay. No, um, they just want to make sure that it's not as it's. They're not going to release a disaster. Uh, <laughs> it's not terrible, is so it's it? Almost it as be. if Disney are one of the most professional media companies in the world and don't like losing money. Well, so it actually costs them less in the long run to delay a film and do reshoots than it does to put out something that's going to lose them money. True. Because okay. they have all the actors under contract. So yeah. That is very true. That is very true. Um, <coughs> speaking of, they cancelled Agent Carter. Yeah. I was kind of sad about that, although, I don't know, series... It didn't really make sense. The, 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 story, the second... It was alright. It was, yeah, it wasn't as good as the first. The first um, season was great. The second season kind of dragged. Yeah. Okay. Uh, House Committee investigates Federal Reserve cyber attacks. Bet you didn't hear about this. Aurora's report into cybersecurity at the Federal Reserve triggers a House Committee investigation into the Federal Reserve security protections. It's a description that elected officials aren't likely thrilled to read. The notion that there have been more than 50 cyber breaches between 2011 and 2015 of the supposedly super secure U.S. Federal Reserve, as Reuters reported earlier this week. Worse, there are only the breaches that Reuters could track as they involve the Board of Governors in some aspect, a federal agency whose records can be revealed by a Freedom of Information Act requests. As a result of Reuters reporting, the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology is officially launching a probe into the Federal Reserve's ability to secure its information from cyber attacks. It's asking the Federal Reserve to turn over all cyber incident reports since January 1, 2009, and it wants those reports raw, no redactions. It's also asking for the Federal Reserve to turn over any incident reports from its local incident response teams as well. 
Each of the central bank's 12 regional branches have their own teams tasked with cybersecurity, and Reuters was unable to obtain any of their records for its report. According to a Reuters report published last week, the Federal Reserve experienced at least 50 breaches of its information technology systems during 2011 through 2015. Of the over 50 breaches identified by the Federal Reserve National Incident Response Team, a breach of cybersecurity experts based in New Jersey reports indicate that the Federal Reserve officials suspected hackers or spies to be responsible for multiple incidents, read the committee's letter. NIRT, which created the incident report Reuters obtained through the Freedom of Information request, however, do not indicate whether sensitive information was obtained or whether hackers stole money. Also troublesome is the fact that of the 310 reports provided by the Federal Reserve in response to the FOIA request, hacking attempts were cited in 140 reports and four hacking incidences in 2012 alone were considered acts of espionage. According to the reports, the incidents involved acts of espionage could only refer to threats from foreign governments, but also spying by private individuals or companies. The committee also noted in its letter that it would like the Federal Reserve to provide any and all documents or communications related to high-impact cases that either its National Incidents Response Team or cybersecurity teams handle. And it also wants to get its hands on the procedures that the national and local teams use when responding to cyber attacks. The committee is giving the Federal Reserve a deadline of June 17th for all the required communications. As for the goals of the attacks, the Federal Reserve systems hold lots of information about future financial policies that could significantly impact global financial markets. If other governments were able to get their hands on this kind of insider information, they could gain a significant economic advantage by getting in front of future policy to name just one benefit. Yeah. That is going to be some mountain of paperwork, because, yeah, my rough calculation was they probably have some sort of attack attempt every hour. Probably. Probably, and it's... Because, yeah, ha hackers, hackers love banking systems. Of course. Well, banking systems are based on the worst technology out there. Yeah. Everything out there runs on, what is it, Windows... <laughs> no, it's no, no, like no, no, no. Windows 7 or something. No, no, the backbone of all the financial services worldwide runs on Unix. That's not even That's Linux. That's how old it is. <laughs> That's not even Linux. I, I know this because I have people who, I have friends who graduated with their degrees in computing science mm -hmm. from back when I studied it, and that's what they do for a living. They work for banks. <sighs> And some of them are, yeah, there's one person who recently, she got, she, well, not one of my closest friends, more of a friend mm -hmm. of a friend. She right. got laid off by the bank a few years back, you know, after the problems. Right. Um, <laughs> problems. <laughs> and then well, about six months ago, they, they tried to hire her back. Oh, we need an expert in Unix systems. Come back. She's like, eh, no. <laughs> She has moved on. She no longer likes working with Unix when she's not getting paid vast sums of money to do so. Uh, no, can't. And obviously, it. they hadn't offered her very much more than she'd been getting previously. Which is stupid. It's like, will you outsource my job? It's your own fault. You don't have a specialist now. Hmm. Uh -huh. yes, Uni Unix uh -huh. systems, yeah, stuff, stuff from the seventies. That's what the banks run on. Well, it's not just that. I mean, our nuclear silos run on the nineteen sixty and nineteen seventy big giant disks. Well, as I say, that does have certain advantages. Uh, oh, I mean, it's before. not easy to hack from the outside. Yeah, 
most modern hackers won't have any idea how to approach systems like that, which is a bonus. Which is but... about the only good thing I can yeah. think about. It. I mean, but those discs are extremely delicate, if my understanding is correct. The first ones are extremely delicate, correct? Yes, and they get more delicate every year they're every used. Every year they're used. <laughs> exactly. That's why they, they, they... Apparently there is a program of upgrades that's been going on. Uh, but considering the quantity of silos you have in the United States, it could take quite a while. Yeah, you think? Especially yeah. since they're not putting any... They're not giving... Um, no rod and the guys who are on the silos any extra money to do the upgrades they've just told them to do them so they're having to use the budget that they use for yeah. everything and try and find well, money out of that no more sterling silver teacups I guess Yeah. <laughs> um, okay so I did want to read this and I didn't want to put it in the show notes because it makes me look nuts uh, secret law, well not show notes but in the bumper Secret laws passed in the U.S. spike under Obama. Congress is passing fewer laws than ever, but secret laws are on the rise. A new survey shows for the past 30 years, Congress has steadily passed an increasing number of secret law provisions that are kept from the public eye. That's according to an exhaustive study by Dakota Rudzell, an Ohio State professor of law, a former senior national security analyst for the Senate Budget Committee, who also worked for the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, Ritzel notes that more and more bills are passed by Congress include provisions that allow for secret elements which become law without the American people knowing what they contain. Secret laws often come about because of three enormous budget bills that get renewed every year which fund some of the government's most secretive programs and agencies, the Department of Defense Appropriations Act, the Intelligence Authorization Act, and the National Defense Authorization Act. Portions of those bills, which fund classified programs, include provisions that can reasonably read to give a classified addendum to U.S. law, as Rutzel found. The study analyzed changes to the U.S. law that come through acts of Congress. A president's executive order can also shape U.S. law, as can the Classified Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, which secretly approves, among other things, warrants for NSA spying activities. FISA court rulings can set hidden legal precedent, which, as with the post 9-11 raw take order, which allowed agents at the NSA, CIA, and FBI to share raw intelligence on Americans with fewer restrictions. Congress, increasingly deadlocked in recent years, has enacted fewer and fewer laws since 1978 when Congress began regularly passing classified documents into law. But even as total laws passed have decreased, provisions within them that can reasonably read to be to make a classified change to U.S. law have steadily risen. As the below chart, well, can't see it, Secret laws have spiked, especially spiked twice, in the middle of the Iraq war under President George W. Bush and since the second half of President Obama's first term. As for what these secret laws actually say, we don't know exactly their secret. It's kind of remarkable in this age when everything leaks, Rutzel told Foactive, but there is not one single of these addenda that have surfaced in 36 years, so we don't actually know what's in it. We do have some ideas of examples, however. In the early years of the Iraq War, DOP ran a massive data mining program based on the idea of predictive policing called Total Information Awareness. Intended to use data to predict who might be a potential criminal threat, the program sought to come through a number of data categories, ranging from online purchases to medical histories. 
Once picked up by the press, the program became massively unpopular and stayed that way after being renamed Terrorism Information Awareness, and particularly criticized for not explicitly ruling out Americans as possible suspects, which critics argued violated the Fourth Amendment. The next year's Defense Appropriation Act suspended the program, but the story didn't end there. In the statutory text right after they terminate the TIA, they also create a new counter foreign intelligence program, Sill said. A few lines down, that same appropriations bill made reference to an entirely new program seemingly similar to the TIA, this time with some very basic privacy provisions built in. The bill states that while no funding is allocated to the TIA, funds are accessible to a program hereby authorized for processing analysis and collaboration tools for counterism foreign intelligence as described in the classified annex accompanying the Department of Defense Appropriations Act 2004. The full description of the program is classified. However, this program doesn't appear to be exactly the same as TIA because if <sighs> it had some explicit restrictions written into it. If you read those restrictions, it sounds like they're basically trying to say this is counter foreign intelligence program and it is supposed to target mainly overseas and not on U.S. citizens, said Rutzel. The existence of law kept hidden from the public doesn't necessarily have to be completely Orwellian, however. Rutzel has a proposal for a more palatable system, a bell ringer. If we decide as a country that some amount of secret law is inevitable, it seems to me that one principle of secret law is that when it's created, there's some sort of notice provided to the public. It could just be a very brief notice in the Federal Register. Just say, <coughs> sorry, on this date, the Department of Justice issued a memo on surveillance along with the date, Ritzel said. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, I was mentioned there has been going on for a while. Mm-hmm. Governments can't get the laws they want passed, so they stick them elsewhere where they can get passed. Exactly. And this is just the ultimate expression of that. Mm -hmm. um, this is how they do it. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, I'm in no way surprised that there's a big spike on Obama's second term because, um. well, Congress and the Senate kept blocking all his proposals. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's put them in. In the secret bills instead. I think it's just depressing. We know that they're watching us, right? We know that they're building up all this data on us. We know that they're listening to our phone calls and they're reading our emails. This is just the basic stuff we know. So why are we pretending they don't? We already well, know they're yeah. doing. Anyone who doesn't it, think... For fuck's sake. Anyone who doesn't think governments are looking at all your data, yeah, I don't know what world you're living in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't either, but I'm just saying, I mean, why hide it? There's I mean, nothing to hide anymore. They No. They can kind of hide it, but they don't really need to. Everybody knows Well, I think I've told you doing. before, the, one of the most hilarious things that's happened in... Conspiracy theorists loved this one. Um, <laughs> was right, you know about Operation Blue Book in the US? Oh, hell yes. Yeah. Well, there's a similar thing in the UK. And last year, the statute of limitations ran out on it being top secret. So mm -hmm. they had to release the documents to the public. And they did. There was boxes and boxes full of folders. That had nothing in them apart from the names <laughs> of what was supposed to be in the folder. 
That's how the British deal with this shit. <laughs> destroy, if you want something hidden, destroy all records of it. Well, you kind of put it it's down on paper. It's kind of simple, really. You, know. you kind of, you put it down on paper and then you shred it. If you yep. want to keep something secret, you refer back to the old way of doing things. Pen and paper. It's normal snail mail. You know, <sighs> telegraph, you, I guess. You can imagine... <laughs> You can imagine Morse the faces code. on all the conspiracy theorists. <gasps> Finally, we'll get some information on all no. this UFO research. Open a folder, nothing in it. Of course Next there's folder, nothing. Next folder, nothing in it. Nothing in it. Hundreds of boxes. Basically nothing, nothing in the boxes. <laughs> of course not. It was quite hilarious, but it's like, yeah, really, the British are good at keeping secrets. <laughs> they don't want you to know something. You're not going to know it. Well, here we're in. Because those were the files that were listed as... Official files. The actual files would be somewhere else. Well, I mean, here we're idiots. Kept note of in, uh, in a register anywhere. Right, and and I can prove we're idiots. I can tell we're idiots, and I can prove that we're idiots. Just give me a second to find the story. Because <laughs> this is about Congress, not the CDC. Although I'm not sure what I'm more concerned about, the CDC or Congress at this point. I mean, the CDC can kill me. It's not like Congress couldn't approve a law that could secretly kill me. But um, the CDC definitely would kill me in a more painful way with these virus releases. Okay. Congress is so bad at cybersecurity, two lawmakers sent advice to colleagues. The bipartisan duo said the advice comes after recent cyber attacks against Congress and a high-profile vulnerability in phone networks. Here's a shocker. Congress is really bad at cybersecurity. The political capital is constantly facing network attacks and hacks from outside hackers and nation states, and that's before the CIA wages its own wave of targeted intelligence uh, com on committee members. Most lawmakers have never heard of PGP or even SSL, let alone used it, and most lawmakers still don't. For some, it's an epidemic problem that leads into the political world, which might explain why some of its cybersecurity legislation is so ill-conceived and badly thought out. Uh, the Senate encryption bill itself is a threat to national security, and the proposed bill would put every American at risk of being spied on by foreign nations, hackers, or even the next U.S. president. So it's no wonder that a bipartisan duo of computer science majors turned politicos got tired of it. House lawmakers Ted Lau, Democrat, California 33rd, and Will Hurd, Republican, Texas 23rd, penned an email to their colleagues Monday warning them of some of the biggest dangers and threats to their information and operational security amidst a related spate of cyber attacks. Your devices will be subject to continuing cyber attacks, the email wrote. The advice was to, among other things, use complex passwords, two-factor authentication, and connect only to trusted networks, tips that just about every other person is told and can benefit from. We need a cultural shift that puts more responsibility on each individual for their digital security, and that starts with education, Lou told ZDNet later on Monday. He said it's absolutely critical that high-value targets, such as Member of Congress, recognize the threat against cyber attacks, citing the recent surge in ransomware threats targeting congressional networks. The two House members make up half of the four computer science majors in Congress. Four. That mindset shows their, in their legislative history. They've also been behind some of the most recent legislative attempts to strengthen national and state cybersecurity, as well as lose effort behind the Encrypt Act, which aims to prevent weakening of encryption. 
but it was earlier this year that Lou realized how vulnerable both he and colleagues were when sister site CBS News reported on a two-year-old flaw in the International Cellular Brokerage Network, which allowed hackers to listen in on his phone calls. Last year, the president called me on my cell phone and we discussed some issues. If hackers were listening in, they would know that full conversation, he said at the time. Given that the phone networks are broken, the two lawmakers said in their bipartisan note to Congress that Congress should use encryption messaging apps, many of which will encrypt both your voice and text messaging data. That might raise a few eyebrows in the Senate, where two Intelligence Committee lawmakers are pushing for new legislation that critics argue would make encryption illegal. Senator Richard Burr and that fucking cunt, Dianne Feinstein, California, introduced a draft bill last month, which pro-encryption advocates called ludicrous, dangerous, and technically illiterate. The bill, if it becomes law, would require tech companies and phone makers to decrypt customer data at a court's request. When asked by email if either senator would take heed of Lou and Hurd's comments, spokespeople for that cunt Feinstein and Burr did not respond to any prior publication. Um... Lou warned that inaction on cybersecurity would endanger national security and argued it would be short-sighted and dangerous not to act. When it comes to cybersecurity, we cannot afford to put politics ahead of national security, he said. Yeah, Idiots. It's, it's quite Idiots. simple. If you leave the barn door open, not only can the cows wander out, other stuff can wander in. <laughs> Pretty Possibly much. Possibly that how, that's how it needs to be explained to the other senators. <laughs> I don't think Feinstein cares. Um, she's her yeah, husband. She's getting runs money from somebody. Well, her husband runs a company that it does some shit that it it does some unethical shit, of course, but it has something to do with computers and encryption. So, of course, she's writing legislation to support him. I mean, yeah. she'd be stupid not to, I guess. Oh, and I read. The Confessions of Congressman X, it is the smallest book I've ever read, <laughs> 80 pages, where he just basically says the American public is stupid. And it's not really that, much of a confession. Yeah. No, and that his job is terrible and that Congress is split up and the country split up. I'm like, right? Okay. So it's a very <laughs> small book explaining the bloody obvious, That's mm -hmm. what you're saying. I am. It's a shame, too, because if this man had written an actual serious book, the way it's flying off the shelves and a lot of people have bought it, no, it might have been a revelation, but it, it won't be. Yeah. Not to anybody with a brain. I don't know. I don't think there's any good way to win this stuff. I think right now it just is, but if they can't hide... We can't hide. But they especially can't hide. That's well, the now, only now that, thing. Now that everything's on electronic systems, yeah, it's 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 whoever has the best hackers will have the most information. It's that simple. Doesn't matter <laughs> what security you put in. Okay, more security helps, but <laughs> it just slows them down. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. The data security Pretty. experts know this and keep telling politicians this. But politicians don't listen. Um, the Confessions of Congressman X. Uh, it was a Democratic senator, and he declined to reveal his name. And didn't actually write anything of any worth. So yeah. Well, it um, it's 
it won't be it won't be revealing reading for anyone um, but I mean I, I guess people could read it and maybe try to figure out who wrote it I don't know here's here's the link if you want to spend two ninety nine. well no to figure Kindle out version. Who, which ghostwriter wrote it for which politician <laughs> that's probably how it worked it's, it's really is really not that revealing and nothing nothing he says is really um earth shattering not if you follow politics and we all know i follow politics well you so. know there's nothing in it that's in any way it's 80 juicy pages long because yeah nobody tried to stop it getting published put it this way um some things he said in the book most of my colleagues are dishonest career politicians who revel in power and special interest money that's lavished upon them. My main job is to keep my job to get reelected. It takes precedence over everything. Voters are incredibly ignorant and know little about our form of government and how it works. It's far easier than you think to manipulate a nation of naive, self-absorbed sheep who crave instant gratification. Fundraising is so time-consuming, I seldom read any bills I vote on. Like many of my colleagues, I don't know the legislation that will be implemented or what it will cost. We spend money we don't have and blithely mortgage our future with a wink and a nod. Screw the next generation. It's about getting credit now, looking good for the upcoming re-election. So, I read that. Yeah. That was not at all revealing to me, but... Well, like I said, you know, you you know, it's not anything juicy because nobody tried to stop it. Because um, <laughs> yeah, there's a history of that in the UK. Lots of ex-spies, ex-soldiers, ex-whatevers, and mm -hmm. you know what they've written's good because the government tries to stop it getting published. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'll I'll read that when it comes out. Then. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if the government's making a big fuss about it, there's obviously something important in there. Yeah. Very true. Because, yeah, we, we, we had a, not so much recently, but, yeah, in the 80s and 90s, there's a nice series of books, and public, they try to block publication, you know, spy catcher and things like that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Which gave away lots of secrets <laughs> and juicy information. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's how you know if it's going to be, if it's actually a political military. or military book worth reading, is if somebody in the government tries to stop it getting put out oh, yeah so um did you hear about jacob appleton uh yeah i saw that earlier yeah what did you think i mean i haven't really had time to look at it properly so. i i haven't really read the allegations but i think it's interesting considering that the the federal government chased one of the tour developers out of the country yeah. this year and she's living in, in germany now and she's afraid to come home. I just think it's funny that all of a sudden people who work for tour are getting demonized. I don't yeah. know. Just odd stuff. And I'm like, God damn it. Now I'm never going to be able to show anybody to protect and infect number two again because it's got an apple bomb in it. And there's all this shit hanging over his head. Um, and <laughs> in case you're wondering, um, he, um, <laughs> he no longer works for tour or WikiLeaks because there's claims of sex abuse against him. So, don't know. Oh, boy. I just, I don't know. But 
you know, who really does know? I guess the people who allege the abuse are the only ones who know. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. So I kind of wonder if anything, you know, <laughs> the stories about the cyber attacks on the Federal Reserve have got to make like Rand Paul's day. <laughs> <laughs> How long has he been trying to get audit the Fed out there? Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm sure that's kind of Yeah, but as I say, I mean, what's going to happen now is there's going to be a giant avalanche of paperwork that's going to take years to go through. You uh, say that, but Jesus Christ, they, you know, government agencies can't even reply to other government agencies in a timely manner, ever. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't know if that'll ever get answered. If it takes them three and a half years to fulfill an FOIA request from a reporter makes you think they're going to go any government agency and let's be honest the federal reserve is not a government agency it's a private banking cartel yeah so they're not going to answer fucking anything if they don't have to well as always with these kind of things though it depends who asks and it depends who behind the scenes has the big axe <laughs> it's like you need to answer that. <laughs> Heft acts menacingly. Yeah. That's kind of what happens in these situations. If somebody really wants the answers, yeah, they, they apply non-public pressure, as it were. Yeah, that's true. Hey, like it, the, the vaping-related thing with Senator Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Uh -huh. he, he's yeah. Well, when he says, "I want the answer by now," I think you'd be insane not to say to give him the information he asks for. But, let's face it, the FDA are dumb, so they might piss him off and really well, end I, up regretting it. <laughs> well, I, th I think they might not have it, because have you ever seen, like, if you go to the We Are Kasa group on Facebook, and, and I see it a lot, people are posting their responses from the FDA, and they're going, this isn't even what I asked them. Yeah. I asked them how, like, how is a drip tip a tobacco product? and they're quoting me verbatim text, but it's not telling me how it's a tobacco product. So I think maybe they don't even have the answers. Um, to answer Michael Morris, they can redact it if they send it to him, but he can still read the original if he wants to. It's just we can't read the original. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, he, he's in with the NSA. He, he can read whatever he wants. He's just doing this out of courtesy <laughs> and to get a bit of public attention. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That senator, that's one of the senators you don't want to... This, the committee he's on, you don't <laughs> want to piss them off. <laughs> they, have actually, they have their fingers in all the important places. Yeah. And even if they don't have them in all the important places here, they can get GCHQ or the other Five Eyes countries to find the information they want for them anyway. Oh, hell yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, the FDA, they really want to piss off a guy who tells, you know, is in partial control of the NSA. <laughs> really not a good idea. Well, I mean, I wouldn't want to, but I do every week, yellow cake. Um, <clears throat> but that's just me playing a game. Yeah. So did you see that stupid thing somebody sent around a meme about uh, the launch codes? Uh, no, I haven't seen that one. Doesn't you didn't? Okay. So from... I might have, but yeah. Okay. In America, 
our, our launch codes were zero 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 between yeah. 1962 and 1977. So I saw it, and I decided to look it up, and yes, indeed, uh -huh. those were our launch codes for a yeah. long fucking time. Yeah, some of the more recent launch codes haven't been much better. I'm sure they haven't. One, two, three, four, five, one, six, seven, eight. Yes, yeah. No, that, oh, yeah. that has been used. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> well, I'm sure Russians are probably somewhat better because they have that love of history and shit, so I'm sure their stuff is, you know, the date of Lenin's birth. And... Um, I think you'll find it's kind of the opposite. <laughs> really? The, the way, the, way <laughs> the Russian system was set up one right. insane general could nuke half the world. Um, they don't <laughs> yeah. have launch codes as such. Christ, that's even worse. Well, how do you think, you know, when the Soviet Union broke up, how you, uh, that's the reason why so much of their stuff ended up being sold all over the place. Because, <laughs> yeah, there weren't any controls, there weren't codes to stop, stop somebody else using them. <laughs> yeah. They, they they mass produce and just hope it all works out. That's the <laughs> Russian way. Uh, oh, so, God. Yeah. Yay. Cheerful thought. So, yeah, government. That's government protecting you. Zero, yeah. zero, 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 zero. Right. And, 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 yeah, there's, yeah, let's face it, there are probably politicians who forgot. Because <laughs> they're that smart. Um What's the well, code again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And if they're only interested in their own re-election, it's not like they give a shit anyway. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, so, luckily, luckily, yeah, well, hmm. <laughs> luckily the, the launch codes aren't the only important thing in the chain. Uh, luckily there are still the two guys with keys. <laughs> yeah, well. I wonder how many of those lose, lose keys. <laughs> oh Christ, there's a happy thought. Or nip down and get a spare cut. <laughs> I I would imagine you probably would have a hard time nipping down to get one of those cuts. I'm just saying. I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's even worse. Yeah, well, I mean, let's face it, we know from, you know, stuff that comes to light that There have been military personnel who have been disciplined and kicked out of the military for amazing things like and this happened in the UK, uh, okay. but things like this have happened in the US as well. Mm -hmm. There's a guy, do you know what a Nimrod is? Yes. Yeah, there are, are spy planes, um, mm -hmm. well, radar planes. Yeah. There's a guy working on repairing one of those. And he needed a specific spanner. And it was missing from the official toolbox. Mm -hmm. And rather than not repair the item, he got his coat on, went down to the local hardware store, bought a spanner. He got, f he got kicked out of the military for that, because it didn't come through official channels. It wasn't an official spanner. Even though it was identical <laughs> to the spanner that was missing. So including the brand had... name, model number, everything. It so was identical. 
So if but, it had come down through official channels, it would have been fine. Yeah. We needed to pay so, five thousand yeah, dollars. When you say, "Oh, it'd be hard for them to get spare keys cut," no. <laughs> Most of the time, the military are using exactly the same shit we are. Because <laughs> 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 that's it. It was a high-tech, state-of-the-art military system, and it was used. It was a normal. I think it was a. It was even something stupid like it was a standard fourteen millimeter spanner. <laughs> Drop forged chromium steel. Okay. So he just went to the hardware store, bought one, so he'd finished doing the job, and he ended Don't up getting trouble. kicked out of the military for it. Dishonorable discharge. Crazy. Loss of pension, all that. Because he didn't want the plane to be grounded for three weeks while they waited for the official spanner to show back up again, or be reordered. <laughs> you know, new one come in. <laughs> That's how insane government is. <laughs> I agree. And I guess we can end it on that tonight. Tonight was a show about that's how insane government is. Edward <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Muppets. Muppets first. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and good night. See you next week. <laughs>